As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Julian Emanuel with us around a table from Evercore. Julian, wonderful to have you with us. A proper introduction, sir, which you deserve. What a rally we've just seen in October. Spills over to November this morning. We asked the guest a little bit earlier, Eric Freedom, what he thought of it, and he said he'd fade this. Do you agree with that? No. Uh, from our point of view, uh, look, the next week or two could be very choppy. Obviously, you've got <coughs> the Fed tomorrow. You've got the elections uh, next Tuesday. Uh, and there's likely going to be back and forth as we've seen the last couple of days. But from our point of view, look, we know the Fed is about to downshift. I don't want to call it pause. I don't want to whatever. But we know the trajectory is going to change and the market is getting comfortable with that. At the same time, just like the July earnings season, we know the numbers are coming down. OK, and it didn't matter stocks in, in July and it doesn't matter now because, frankly, people have been, for the most part, underinvested. And the last thing, the stock bond correlation, you can't get away from that. The U.K. set the line in the sand when we resolved the political issues that at least stopped the parabolic move up in yields. And that's supportive for stocks. We've got you for the whole half hour, which is a real uh, pleasure. I want to go into some of the machinery of what you're doing day to day that everybody on Wall Street's reading. We'll do that later. Right now, you have a single statistic the morning. It keeps coming up. Revenues keep ticking up on your earnings edge, 9.5%. What's the glide path of revenues you see with your optimism into, say, June of next year? Well, again, look, we know the story is the story that none of us as adults have a face, faced in our investing lifetime, and the revenues are being driven by the ability to pass on prices in an inflationary Coca -Cola. environment. Coca-Cola, we saw yeah, that with Coca-Cola. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, the glide path is going to moderate. The question is, can margins be maintained? They've slipped. There's likely going to be some more slippage, but can we maintain? And that's really the question uh, confronting corporate America. Do politicians want to see those profit margins maintained? Is the Federal Reserve, in other words, the more the profit margins are maintained, the higher rates will go at a time when there is the la lack of sensitivity right now between monetary policy and the market response? Look, this, again, is part of the narrative. There are a number of ways that policy tightens and 
And certainly, and again, this is part of the, the dialogue we've seen in, in the last 24 hours in pointing out uh, the energy industry in, in particular, <coughs> that we do want to see uh, margins come in. But again, the, the, this is why the challenge of the soft-ish landing is so right. intense because there's a lot of things that have to go right. Triple leverage all cash fund. I have no tax losses, okay? <laughs> Other people have a lot of tax losses. How do you play the shell game of tax loss candidates into January 3, 2023? So we are very strongly convicted in the idea that you don't want to take money out of the market here, okay? It, look, could we go lower at some point next year? Absolutely. But that is contingent on we've moved from contingent on a recession to contingent on a deep recession. Bloomberg Radio, you don't see this, but they put a manual over here with me because Lisa just didn't want to sit next to that much optimism. (laughs) Too too constructive. (laughs) Too constructive. (laughs) Lisa will say, though, the consensus view, though, has shifted so much, Julian. We've gone from the Fed's not going to hike too much to it's not going to hike 50, it's not going to hike 75, or maybe it won't hike 75 again. They're set to do a fourth 75 basis point hike. When it came to the recession, it was no recession. Now it's a recession, but short and shallow. We're a long way from where we started the year, Julian, and we've been wrong, wrong, wrong the whole way through 2022. What gives you any confidence about 2023? Look, we do have to understand the fact that when you have a year like 2022, both the left tail and the right tail, and you know we talk about options plenty at Evercore ISI, are very large. And frankly, when you look at it, and this is one of our favorite graphs, the bond stock return quadrant, it's been the lower left in an unprecedented nature over the last 60 years, uh, 2022. But actually, the upside of that is the year after the only other time it was lower left, 1994, you had a massive return year for both bonds and stocks. And again, we respect the concept of seasonality. It's not the be-all and end-all in the markets, but we all know the data that supports good years after midterms. Can we give Hyman a shout out just quickly? Did you see the latest institutional investor survey. Ed Hyman, top economist, a title he has earned 42 times in the 51-year history of the equity research survey. I mean, I'm sorry, 42 out of 51. Well, this is what you go. And, you know, he's smart enough to hire Michael Chu and Julian Emanuel. You work for Chu, right? That's how it works. We'll talk about that later. That's how it works. But the, the basic idea here, John, he's been doing it since C.J. Lawrence, and here's how he does it granularity. No one is as granular as Edward Hyman. He's got a black pencil. He's ruined three of his light gray sh- suits. He's got the Sharpie thing going. Mm. He ruins like a three sh- shoots. He uses a Sharpie. Year. Uses a black Sharpie that, on that's, his that's note. That's the secret. And he's got a green. He's, he's looking at railroad crossings in Kansas City. This is value add. This is real value add. <laughs> you just take a Sharpie and you talk about railroad crossings Lisa, and you get number one. secrets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, I had a this deal once. And, uh, I had a deal once and I had a paragraph on page 42 that said <laughs> that if I didn't low. get Ed Hyman's literature, I wouldn't work there. I was trying Literally. to give really? Ed a proper shout out and you just went on a rant about pencils and Sharpies. Julian Emanuel of Evercore. <laughs> Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. 
Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can head over to our good friend Manus Cranny. Morning, Manus. John, thank you very much. Yeah, joining me now is Amos Hoxine, the uh, special presidential coordinator. Amos, good to see you in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we were just playing some of the presidents down there talking about, uh, you know, continuing buybacks and uh, dividends would perhaps bring the wrath of the White House upon them in terms of uh, taxes. But to his speech last night, let's talk about last night. The president warned... I'm paraphrasing that there's a risk of a windfall tax. If you don't reinvest, is this just political kite flying ahead of midterms? Is there any real possibility of windfall taxes? Well, Mass, first of all, it's great to be here with you in, uh, in Abu Dhabi and on Bloomberg. It's, it's always great. Uh, look, the president is, this has been a consistent message from the president, from the administration, asking companies to take their profits and invest them back in America, back in production and refining. We have been experiencing elevated prices as a result of geopolitical dynamics, not because of markets, but because we have a war, a devastating war in Europe, where the perpetrator of the war is one of the largest oil producers in the world, one of the largest gas exporters in the world, and is using energy as a weapon. This has seen a massive increase in prices, while, of course, we still have a, a, a huge economic growth from post-COVID that is also creating demand growth. So we're telling companies, make a profit, pay your shareholders. But there's a level and a limit to how much profit you can take you without investing. You weren't saying that to oil companies when oil was at 20 bucks in the United States of America. I think, I think the point wait, that- wait $20 is when naturally companies don't invest. $100, $90 is naturally, historically, when companies do invest. The problem now is that they're not doing what they always used to do. I'm not here to represent big oil, Amos. I'm here merely to put the proposition, which is, people have said to me, you look at this administration's guidance to big oil. Day one, Keystone was binned. We have now the discussion about a new taxation format, and we have a host of sort of no drilling on, on federal land. We have various messages which are respectfully schizophrenic. How can you plan for five years, ten years CapEx, Amos, with schizophrenic policy changes like this? This is how it's been described to me. What's your response to that? I don't think it's been schizophrenic. I think we've been very clear to craft. Look, we are in a, we have to deal with the short term, medium term and long term. We are in a, uh, a time when we have to increase production because we need to make sure to ensure global economic growth, yes. we have to have reasonably priced affordable energy resources, oil and gas. To meet our goals of where we want the world to go by 2035 and 2050, we have to accelerate our investments in renewable energy. We, those are consistent with each other. They're not competing with each other. So investing right now, we, here's a certainty we're giving oil companies. We've said that we are going, now that we have released 180 million barrels 
yeah. of oil onto the market from the SBR. For our national security interest, we need to buy it back. We need to buy another 200 million barrels back over the next several years. We have said, the president himself has told companies, I will, get, I will tell you what price I will buy it back at $70 or so. I will start buying back at large amounts. So I will provide you with certainty of price to some degree, so to enable, to answer the questions you've asked. Well, there's one way to push a market against you, and that's to tell them at what price you want to replenish the SPR. But I know it's a lengthy document, and I know it has detail. We, can, we move on, which is about the price cap from the United States of America. Um, I think the language is an effective and a strong level, 40 to $60 is what I understand, the numbers that's in the Bloomberg stories. Do you really believe 60 bucks is going to keep Russian oil flowing onto the market? Because the conversation I've had with everybody here, everybody's worried about the sanctions coming to bear here in our, at home in Europe. Does 60 bucks keep Russia oil flowing in your mind? So outside of a Bloomberg article, which I would never want to argue with Bloomberg. I think it was Treasury uh, Secretary Yellen who indicated no, it was 40 to 60 bucks. No, I, I don't think so. I, we are going to set the price when we do that and we'll announce it. I, I think all these numbers out there that are just rumors and leaks that I can tell you are not substantiated by reality. Uh, and people should just ignore those. I really would hope people would okay. ignore those numbers. Uh, we are, we've always said that our goal was to keep the Russian barrels on the market while we restrict the revenues to Russia at a point when they're using those revenues to finance the war. There's a balance here, and we have to figure that out. There's a difference in the balance between when we were at $120 a barrel yep. versus when we were at $76 a barrel. So we are going to have to figure out, and we're doing that now, of what the right price is going to be in order to make sure that Russia is still incentivized to sell on the market while uh, we make sure that they're not over-profiting uh, beyond that level. Will it be materially higher than 60? I can't tell you what the price is because if I say anything now, you're gonna, you're, they're going to have rumors again on that. But we rec look, we get it. We understand how the market works, and we want to make sure that our goals are achieved. Just to clarify, I deal in fact, not rumor. And with that in mind, I want to understand the potency of the price cap when it comes, because I caught up with the Indian oil minister yesterday. It's very unlikely, the speculation is, it's very unlikely India and China, two of the biggest customers out there uh, for Russian oil, will sign up. We don't know. But given the price cap, it's a fairly impotent proposition if two of the biggest customers of Russia won't sign up. I disagree. Because okay. um, the country, what we're telling people, you don't have to sign up. It's not, you know, a membership. Uh, you, as long as you are purchasing Russian oil yep. at a lower price, that's what we want to achieve. Okay. You have a market price of Brent. Everybody negotiates. You know that nobody buys strictly Brent. There's all kinds of negotiations. Do you really believe that India and China are not going to be negotiating and are not already. We know that Russian oil is not selling at Brent right now. No, it's selling, it's selling at, at a discount. discount. So it's just about how much of a discount. Okay, well, let's see what you produce. Uh, you're here in Adipec. How would you describe Saudi-US relations at the moment? Are they broken? Are they fractured? What is the word that describes it at the moment? Well, I think people attach too much to the drama of things and the soap opera of things. Saudi Arabia and the United States have had an 80-year relationship. We've had some ups, we've had some downs. We usually come back from the up. We have a broad range of interests from security to economic. We had a significant disagreement that we're, you know, I don't shy away from that. We had a disagreement about the OPEC decision. We think it was a mistake 
to announce a cut of two million barrels. Uh, but we, we continue to talk to them and we're going to continue to have a relationship that serves our interests. We're just going to have to evaluate how that, is, how that best works in all ways. The last time you were in the region, you left here. Did you leave here? Did you leave Saudi Arabia with a conviction and a solid belief that you were going to get more oil on the market from the Saudis? Were you misguided? Did you walk away with that belief? Clarify for us today. So one of the things that I never do is talk about what we talk about, what I, my conversations with government officials I understand the scenes. So I, I will say that we were very, the good thing about my conversation with folks, I'm always very straightforward and I appreciate that they can be with me. They knew that we believe that a cut right now in this environment under these conditions was not good for the global economy. It was not good for their consumers. It's not good for our economy and consumers. We thought it was a mistake. I also, I think the so point that the we have Biden to make... So then the Biden trip to Saudi Arabia was about oil all along? No, it was never about oil. Think about the things that we've done. We, look, we are the United States. Our interests are, are varied and deep. And look at what we achieved on that trip that I think was really important. There were overflights from Israel, security arrangements, security integration, security economic integration of Iraq vis-a-vis -vis Iran, yes. extending the ceasefire uh, with Yemen. I mean, these are really important things. We announced all kinds of other achievements at the, in the, while on that trip that have nothing to do with oil. At the same time, when we announced the trip, we also saw after the trip a increase in production in July, an increase in production in August, an increase in production in September. Uh, but come on. Saudi in August had its highest production levels. Amos, respectfully, it was a shock and it provoked immediate press releases in the news conference I was in in Vienna that night. The question the market wants to know is how serious is the White House about a retaliation? I, you know, is retaliation the right word? What are you going to do? Is it, is it going to be arms sales? Is it going to be NOPEC? Is it going to be... Uh, let's say, more additional SPR releases. What is this retaliation that's been so much made of in the media? So again, I have to deal with the relationship less with what it's made of in the media. And we are looking at what the interests of the United States are, how we see for our own interests and for our interests here in the region. We have very strong interests here in the Gulf across the board uh, with UAE, with Saudi, with the rest of the region. And we are going to continue to look at what are the actions that we need to take that best serve the American interests and what we think are the best security interests for this region and the economic interests around the world. That's what will guide every decision that we make. Amos, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you've got a busy schedule and uh, it's been good to catch up. And I'll make sure I'll go now and fact check my $40 to $60 oil price uh, in terms of where the cap comes. Amos Hochstein, uh, Special Presidential Coordinator in Adepec 2022. My final guest, it's a wrap from the hallowed halls of where oil deals are done. Jonathan. Hey, man, it's great job. work. Jane Foley will uh, you join like us now stock. with Robert No, I Robert. don't actually like it. Let's be you clear. Like the company. It's just fun to say the name Billy Billy. Say it. It's fun. Jane's laughing at us. <laughs> Please, let's move on. I would, Royal Dutch Shell is maybe just as fun to say. Jane Foley with us now. I had a foreign exchange strategy. Jane, I did a fancy log study on the Bloomberg on Chinese Yuan, USDCNY. And if you extrapolate it out on this moonshot of weakness, you get to eight yuan in the summer of next year. 
Can you go through that exercise? Can you extrapolate out some of these beleaguered EM currencies and particularly China? Well, you know, again, the, the news that you were just referring to, will they pull out of COVID zero or not? Well, look, that's going to have a big a big leaning really on the market's expectations for growth in China and, and therefore on the, uh, the the value of the, the renminbi because we all know that Chinese growth uh, this year is, is really disappointing uh, and we all know that of course a weakened economy means a weakened exchange rate. So uh, th- those two things are, are really, really aligned. But, you know, for many of the uh, uh, EM currencies or the, the, the economies, I think it really depends whether or not we're talking about commodities exporters, commodities importers, and certainly the ones that have been really struck by the energy uh, crisis uh, really in uh, some dire straits or the, or the food price crisis uh, for many EM right. and you know there is some degree of a, of a doom loop for, for, for many of these now and that's going to be really tough to break and, and of course I think we've talked about before if you can look at the doom loop for, for emerging markets as their fundamentals keep on driving them lower and that of course refers to, to, to that feedback loop with respect to the dollar too people keep well, on holding the dollar in, in, instead. Let's go to first principles off a Fed meeting tomorrow and folks will have our college very coverage very dollar centric. Jane Fuller can central banks manage a dollar turnaround? Well, you know, I, I think central banks would like a dollar turnaround. I mean, you know, there has been uh, keeping up with the Joneses to, to some extent, and, and that's not just in EM. And we saw the emerging market central banks uh, start hiking interest rates really before uh, G10 in, in many cases. And of course, you know, you look at the, the Bank of England, you, you look at the ECB, you know, they next time they go, I mean, the Bank of England, obviously this week, but next time they go, they could be hiking into an interest rate hike into a recession. That's not something they want. And they don't really want to be doing 75 basis points, even 50 basis points into a recession. But of course, as long as the Fed does large increments, then because of the the, the, the impact or the potential impact on their currencies, you know, that really keeps alive the possibility that they may have to go by large increments too, which crushes demand. This isn't just about a, a, a doom loop for EM, it's happening here too. It crushes demand even more, which is clearly not what you want when you've got uh, energy prices crushing demand as well. So um, if the Fed were to ease up, I, th- I think it would be a relief to a huge amount of economies around the world. Okay. So if there is a step down, does that mean that we've seen peak dollar? Well, you know, not necessarily. And, and and this is the interesting thing, because the dollar is a safe haven, the dollar also reacts to, to slower world growth. And so, you know, I, I still come back to the question, um, until you can really answer, you know, what else are you going to buy if it's not the dollar? Until you can really say, yeah, you know, I really want to go and buy risky assets, I want to go back into EM, or, you know, I'm confident in the euro. Until you can answer those questions, I think the dollar retains a fair amount of strength. And, you know, with respect to the euro, yes, you know, energy prices have come lower in October and that's great news but you know it won't stop it hasn't stopped you know big uh, chemical companies aluminium smelters pulp manufacturers moving out of Europe because they know that it's not just about the cost of energy this winter it's next winter and the one after that where is that energy going to come from and I don't think that's something that the euro is is really priced for yet. So how much could we see the dollar continue to rally based on that backdrop which is really a poignant to, to think about industries moving out wholesale of Europe because they know this is not a one-way Problem. Well, you know, 
I, I think you know we we could still have euro dollar going lower, maybe not right in the in the near term because the, the market is is getting excited about the, the the story that we've got this this warm period and energy prices aren't as expensive as they could have been. But I I think if we move into the proper winter over you know after Christmas into January February, if it gets cold there, and I think the reality of this weak set of data that we've had from Germany in terms of industrial production and manufacturing production, the PMIs etc. That the, the warnings about recession if they come into fruition. I think that's the sort of environment where we could see, you know, euro dollar moving back maybe towards 95 or so. Jane, final word on Sterling. If you'd asked me just a few weeks ago whether this Bank of England would be selling assets, I would have said, I don't think so, but they are. Jane, is that currency positive or negative? Well, I suppose, you know, that the fact that they managed to pull their uh, credibility back from the abyss, uh, you know, is a, is a positive thing. We have to see how this, this auction is soaked up. But uh, for now, I think the Bank of England, yeah, credibility, it's a good thing. But, you know, I think the jury's out. Um, I've still got a, a negative uh, forecast for sterling. And, and that's really because, you know, all of the sour fundamentals that existed before that mini budget on September the 23rd are fundamentally still there. In fact, they're worse because uh, confidence has, has worsened, business confidence, consumer confidence, that sort of thing. We are heading into the recession if we're not already in it. So, um, yes, you know, in terms of credibility, both the, the new prime minister and the Bank of England, yeah, that that's certainly a lot more solid than it was just a few weeks ago. But this is a this is a, a tough set of environments in, in the UK that, that both are, are facing. And, and I think uh, Sterling is still headed for a pretty bumpy ride. The pound against the US dollar right now, 115.35, the dollar weaker through all the G10. Jane, thank you. As always, Jane Foley there of Rabobank. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Speaking from 60,000 feet, Carl Riccadonna's on a glide path, landing with the Fed tomorrow. We'll have our coverage. He joins us now, Chief U.S. Economist at BNP Paribas. Carl, I want to drill right down to the press conference. Everyone's going to want to look out to December. How does Powell frame December tomorrow in the vicinity of 2.24 p.m.? Well, good morning, Tom. I I think that the uh, challenge for tomorrow's uh, press conference, obviously, November is all about December, uh, but the focus is going to be on the the Fed's credibility around this messaging. And they've previously highlighted that they need to see some realized improvement in the inflation numbers, not just uh, wishful thinking about a turn on the inflation data. And if we look at, for example, the core CPI, uh, the the six-month annualized rate of change uh, relative to the 12-month is not telling us things are moderating. Uh, So I, I 
I think what could happen, I mean, the Fed is obviously eager for a downshift at some point, uh, but I think that uh, maybe Powell will uh, take a step away from mm -hmm. that, and rather than committing uh, to December, he'll say, well, the time is approaching for a downshift. Uh, we'll let the data do the talking. Uh, and we have, uh, before the December meeting, two jobs reports, two more inflation reports, uh, and also uh, two more rounds of inflation expectations numbers, which I think are uh, exceptionally important at this moment. Is the rate regime now, or what we're going to see in December or January, the same as it felt the last time we were at this level of nominal rate. Well, I think that debt levels have gone up in the economy, and so interest rate sensitivity uh, has only increased, and that's true relative to the last time we were at these levels, and it's true over the last uh, 50 years uh, as well. So uh, absolutely, uh, monetary policy is biting uh, into uh, economic activity. We see that very clearly in the housing sector. Uh, we'll see it through some other channels. Uh, you alluded to the uh, manufacturing ISM out at 10 o'clock this morning, uh, the strong dollar taking a very significant toll on the factory sector. We've seen new export orders slide into contraction. And I think that means that finally today, the uh, ISM headline uh, will also slide into contraction as well. So we're uh, absolutely experiencing multiple channels through which policy is tightening and reigning in activity. Uh, and I think that means we're heading into recession uh, next year. Uh, maybe not so early as the first quarter, but I think by the time uh, Q2 rolls around, uh, we will have seen payrolls uh, slip below zero uh, on a monthly basis, and uh, consumers will have exhausted their excess savings from the pandemic, uh, and the Fed will be at a level of about uh, five and a quarter uh, on the terminal Fed funds rate. Uh, this will ultimately fix the inflation problem, uh, but uh, through the process, uh, it will steer us into recession. To fix the inflation problem, how long does the Fed, in your estimation, have to hold rates at that five and a quarter percent level? Uh, in my estimation, my team's estimation, uh, we think that the Fed will be holding at that terminal rate of uh, five and a quarter uh, throughout 2023. And then rate cuts could start in 2024. But don't look for the Fed to be the white knight. It historically has been uh, riding to the rescue quickly and aggressively uh, with rate cuts. Rather, they'll be uh, much stingier uh, with the, uh, the the lowering of the Fed funds rate, keeping it in restrictive territory. Uh, we're looking for maybe uh, you know, 50 basis points of cuts per quarter uh, after uh, at the start of uh, 2024. So it's going to be a, a gradual moderation of that uh, restrictive stance of policy because it is going to take time uh, to choke the inflation pressures out of the economy. We're, we're seeing inflation at the moment in very sticky categories, places like rents, uh, and services excluding rents. Uh, and historically, it's taken more forceful policy action to bend the trend uh, in those types of categories. A lot of people listening to this might say five and a quarter percent rates for a full year at a time when we haven't seen as much sensitivity this year because of some of the immunization of balance sheets that we've seen. Next year starts to get a little bit different. What are the contours of a recession with a full year or more of five and a quarter percent Fed funds rates? Well, again, Lisa, I think the recession uh, probably starts in Q2 of next year. Uh, we have to be careful uh, not to succumb to 
to recency bias, as psychologists call it, and uh, draw parallels to the last few recessions, which were uh, exceptionally uh, deep recessions, the COVID recession uh, and the uh, global financial crisis before that. I think the contours of this recession uh, look more like uh, a run-of-the-mill recession, if you will. And so uh, if I had to draw a uh, historical period with the closest uh, parallels, uh, maybe it's the 1990-91 recession. So I would look for, again, between mm -hmm. three and five quarters of uh, recession, uh, probably four quarters of economic contraction, and look for the unemployment rate uh, to back up from three and a half, as it currently stands, to something in the vicinity of uh, 6% at the peak. But the critical thing here, Carl, and you've been a great student of history, you know, for years, rolling back to your time at Deutsche Bank. And, and to me, the critical thing here is life goes on. If we get a Riccadonna view, life goes on, doesn't it? I mean, there's a whole gloom crew out there. We roll over and die. Just don't buy it. Well, we don't roll over and die. Uh, there's a, you know, still a decent demographic trend in the U.S., uh, especially compared to a lot of our uh, developed economy uh, peers uh, in, in, in Asia and uh, Europe, for that matter. So there's population growth. Uh, maybe we see some improvement on the immigration front. Uh, and all of these demographic factors mean that life goes on. As the population grows, then the economy gets dragged along with it. So you get, uh, you get hiccups along the way, and those hiccups are recessions. But uh, structurally, there is still a, a growth paradigm in place. Meanwhile, Senator Warren and uh, Bernie Sanders putting out a note basically talking about how they want to talk better with Fed Chair Jay Powell about the path of rate hikes and some of the pain that it's going to inflict on the economy. If the Fed lacks the political will for whatever reason to get to that five and a quarter percent level, how high could inflation be? I mean, what's necessarily going to be the length of time that inflation could remain high and the ramifications for the economy? Well, if they lack the political will to uh, really forcefully act against inflation, and I don't think that's the case by any stretch at the moment, uh, a, uh, a slew of uh, Fed uh, officials have made it very clear that inflation is uh, job one, uh, priority number one, uh, and they will do whatever it takes to uh, accomplish those goals. So uh, as long as Jay Powell is at the helm, uh, I think they will have the political will to uh, make sure this plays out uh, in an appropriate fashion. But if they don't uh, act forcefully, then uh, uh, not only do you have uh, higher inflation over uh, a medium-term horizon, uh, but possibly some disanchoring of inflation expectations. And, and that, for me, was really the last straw. John had uh, mentioned uh, crude oil prices at the uh, start of the segment. Uh, crude oil prices in the $80 to $90 range uh, mean that the relief we've seen in gasoline prices uh, over the last uh, 100 days or so may prove short-lived, and we could start to drift higher uh, in the coming months. And nothing antagonizes inflation expectations expectations in the United States, including longer-run inflation expectations uh, than rising prices at the pump. Uh, we've seen this in the latest U University of Michigan uh, details for longer run. Uh, we've also seen it in the uh, New York Fed's uh, survey of consumer expectations on three- and five-year uh, horizons. So I think in the back of their minds, uh, Fed officials are looking at that notch up in inflation expectations. It's still in territory uh, consistent with them moving back to their goal, but it's moving in the wrong direction. Uh, and I think this is part of the reason they may uh, have some pause about uh, really convincingly signaling a downshift uh, for the December meeting. Uh, and instead, they'll say, well, let, let the data do the talking. And if we do see some relief, uh, maybe they can downshift to 50 in, in December. Uh, but I don't think uh, we'll get uh, kind of convincing table pounding confidence uh, on that point in tomorrow's press conference. Hey, Carl, thank you. Got to leave it there. Carl Riccadonna there of My BNP Paribas. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. 
Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.